in the 21st century Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom, delivering insights. And Dry Shod Boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing really good, Casey. It's a Friday and, uh, you know, we always uh, try to see how things close the week out. So yeah. we'll find out today. Yep, we will definitely find out. So, a couple things this week of of some magnitude to the market. We had an ending stocks report come out on Tuesday, and we had the uh, um, Thursday stock, uh, export report come out. And I don't know that the <clears throat> ending stock reports had, you know, everyone kind of flustered with the how much corn we had and this, that, and the other thing. I think people forget that we have an ethanol industry that is going to rebound as soon as people start driving again, and we're starting to see signs of that. Um, more and more ethanol plants are opening up. Price of ethanol is going up. Gasoline futures are going up. Price of oil is going up. I mean, everything's going up. Just, I don't know if the doom and gloom media has yet to uh, remind people of that, but um, it's still the worst thing ever right now, and there's a lot of stuff going on that shows that there's some bad stuff happening, but silently positivity is creeping back into the market. So I guess, Sean, as you take a look at the export report and the ending stocks report, what's your uh, kind of what's your reaction to those and then what's your reaction to this week's trade? Well, first of all, the May USDA report um, is always, as long as I've been in the business, has always said we have too much corn. I don't recall a May a May first estimate from the USDA saying anything other than, oh, we're going to have too much corn. So every single year, you can bet the May report's going to tell you we have too much corn, just using the corn market as an example. Mm-hmm. So they came out in this report and said, we have too much corn, like they do every single year, and everyone's bearish this time of the year. I remember how bearish people were a year ago. Too much corn. Rain makes grain. Too much corn. And then we rallied a dollar, over a dollar, within the next 30 to 45 days. Um, so, 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 so the USDA, it's a balance sheet. It's a spreadsheet. We actually don't have the 3.1 billion bushels to carry out. That's what they suggest we're going to have, but it doesn't mean it's real yet. I mean, it doesn't mean that's actually, we still have to grow the crop. We have to harvest the crop. We have to look, we still have to look at the, I mean, that's just a proposition. That's their guess. And they're never right. Yeah. The main report is never, ever the way it turns out. So if anyone says, look at all this, no, 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 we don't have it yet. It's a speculation. And it's my job, your job, the job of the farmer to speculate. Are they right or wrong? And if they're wrong, which, which direction are they wrong? And, uh, and, and so when we look at that report, um, you know, we think we've just traded the largest corn supply number we're going to trade probably for the rest of the year. That's our guess. We think that they're totally uh, overplaying the loss of ethanol demand. We think they're completely overestimating how many acres 
are going to get planted uh, or have been or in the process of getting planted. We think that they're overestimating the yields that they're going to have based upon how we're already starting off the year. But, you know, just, just a lot of things that we think are just, and this is, this is typical. They just they throw out the most optimistic numbers because that's just how they operate. But we believe the corn market looked at that report and said, eh, it actually went up that day, I believe. I think it went up two or three cents that day. Mm -hmm. So when the market doesn't go down anymore, Casey, on on what appears to be you know, numbers that are catastrophically bearish, the market's kind of either priced it all in, more than priced it in, or, or actually doesn't agree with the numbers because if they did agree with the numbers, you know, we would have gone down quite a bit. So, so all this is to say that we think that going forward, we're going to keep chipping away at this 3.4. We're going to keep chipping away at it. Oh, ethanol demand is coming back faster than we thought. Oh, exports are better than we thought. Oh, we got hot, dry weather, or you know, the weather's not as good as we thought. You know, the June report comes out for acres, and oh, we didn't plant quite as many as we thought. The farmer actually, you know, did decide not to do it this year. I mean, we could go, you know, Quarterly grain stocks, last year's crop was overestimated. We have less old crop stocks than we thought. I mean, we go down the list of all the things that I think that will start to chip away at this 3.4. And the way, this is not, um, it doesn't mean that we're heading for $6 corn. Right, no. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying $6 corn every time, yeah. but I'm saying some $3 cash corn, I do not believe um, is a correct pricing at this moment in time based on what we see uh, fundamentally and what's likely to be the reality and also you know at the capital flows that we follow uh, the smart money algorithm that we follow we've been following forever and it's been really really good on corn it's given us our first smart money buy signal in over a year um, and, and it's been a very very good indicator and as to say that collectively the smartest people in the corn market whether it's ADM cargo uh, China Trading House, uh, and ethanol operate. Who, it's, it's all of them combined have pushed their money to the long side in the largest amounts uh, in over a year. And so, uh, you know, they're they're not always right, but they're right a high percentage of the time. And so, when we see them really pushing in uh, their money, skinning the game, we call it, uh, they're worried about upside. Surprises in corn prices right now. They're not worried about the downside, and I agree with them. And uh, and I think that that when right now, you know, we talked about this before we started. You know, there's very low volatility in corn. Two cents up, two cents down. It's quiet, sideways trade. It's almost like the market. Is it open today? Is it? Is there a problem? This call a CME. Open up that corn market. It's just so quiet. They always say never short a quiet market. Because uh, usually when a quiet market wakes up, it wakes up to the upside. So, so to those that are out there that are uh, feeling um, uh, depressed or they're, or they're thinking there's no hope for corn market specifically, uh, we, we think there's actually this is a pretty good time to be a little more optimistic about a, uh, a move higher in price. We have to determine how high that price will be, but whatever it is, you know, we think it will be a worthy move that will provide the farmer an opportunity to sell a price that makes whole lot more sense than it does right now i absolutely agree with you 100 percent i uh i i've been watching this and, and they it's just like you said I, f I feel like they've uh forgotten about ethanol 
and uh, and what how much corn goes in ethanol. And the reason ethanol plants are shut down has nothing to do with lack of demand or or lack of supply or or, or able to create the supply or anything like that. It's just the fact people aren't driving and <clears throat> more people are driving now. And well, let me let, let me uh, here in, in where I live, you know, we're very high population density area. Okay? I mean, you know. On a normal day, this time of the year, I mean, there's party everywhere, right? Yep. So, so you know, just just anecdotally, now, the last couple of days I've driven around and it it is the traffic is crazy like it normally is. I mean, mm -hmm. it, if I didn't know that we just went through this shutdown, if I just if I just woke up and and went out about my day, it was it was a normal day on the road, traffic everywhere, waiting at lights. People yelling, screaming because you're too slow. I mean, <laughs> every car's on the road. Right. Every yep. car's on the road. Gas stations are full. You got to wait to get your gas. Mm -hmm. So, so I am sure I'm not in a bubble here that we're the only area experiencing dramatic increases yep. in demand for gasoline based upon normal driving behavior and activity. Yep. I am sure the rest of the country, at least a good portion of it, is experiencing, which means the demand for gas, the demand for oil, is rapidly moving up and that means that the demand for at least 10% of it, it's got to be ethanol, is rapidly moving up yep. and that means that unless we start producing some, those large ethanol stocks are going to crash as fast as they can. Right, yep. So that's yep. how we see it. I, it. It's logic, right? There's no, I don't, yeah. I, there's the correlator you know what I mean? Like the price of, you want to look at gasoline futures and the correlation between gas, gas, gasoline futures and ethanol futures. They've both started to rise at the exact same time. You know what I mean? Is that, I mean, what am I missing here? Right? So I mean, there's a correlation between the two. <clears throat> so that kind of leads me back into my next thing. I want to talk to you about energy, kind of spend a little time there. As you look at the uh, overall price of oil, there's been about a $60 swing from the I'll give you $38 for that if you just take this barrel of oil from me to now it's worth about 30 bucks. So um, there's been a huge swing in the price of oil. Um, obviously, that, that goes back to the amount of, of cars back on the road driving around, what that looks like. I did some rough math the other day, and I came up with something. I, I'm going to probably butcher this now because it was the last week when I came up with these numbers, but something like $389 million gallons of gas get used a day in 2019 um if i remember right something along those lines um and that would have created a uh if, if half those you know open back up and the ethanol that comes with it we basically have about a 60-day supply of ethanol if if half the people start driving again um so as that as that creeps up we're going to start seeing it going um ending stocks for ethanol typically um, even in good times are as full as they can keep them just because of the, of the amount of time that it makes ethanol. So as you look out and you're looking at the oil market, $40 oil is not that far away. I mean, I think we could be there very, very quickly. Uh, at, the, at the current rate of demand that I'm seeing, at least in my area, and, and, and I know my friends that I'm talking about in other areas, you know, we could see forty dollar barrel oil. You know, within the next thirty days, wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, we're already we're only almost at thirty already. Right. So, so, so forty's not. You know, here we go. But I mean, forty dollars mm -hmm. a barrel. That kind of level of demand to get back to forty uh, means we're going to get a lot of ethanol demand back for corn. And 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 
and you know what that means in the local market, it means a the basis is going to narrow. So the two things are going to happen is the price, the actual futures price is going to start to rise in that scenario, and the basis which just blew apart, as you know, because everybody backed away <coughs> from buying corn. But the basis is going to improve, so you're going to get a double whammy of a basis contraction, and the market's going to go up at the same time. And so you could be looking, you know, even if the corn price, you know, went up. 30 or 40 cents, and you got a 20 cent improvement in basis in certain areas. I mean, that's a dramatic turn of events for cash corn um, from where we are today to where we could be 30 days from now on a, on a just just a, just a little bounce in the corn market. I mean, nothing that would even show up as anything major, just going back to resistance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah there's, there's a. It, it's it's not going to take a lot to turn the tide right now. I don't think. Just it's kind of. I think we're 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 right there on the cusp of just a few things need to fall in place, and and we're going to not and, crazy and rise, but we're going to start seeing things move. Yeah, and the longer term picture too is remember we've blown apart the funding of the fracking industry, right. meaning Wall Street that was funding all this activity. Even if they were losing money, the money was coming. Don't worry, you got all this money that fostered all that. Uh, Rig count flowing and everything, it's over. I mean, that, that spigot is gone. So even when we get back to 40 or $50 by oil, there's no appetite for Wall Street to fund anything. So it's not going to be going back and capital programs and let's expand again. We're just going to be, let's operate efficiently with what we got. <laughs> let's start paying some debt down. But there's going to be no expansion that we can see anytime soon from Wall Street funding new expansion for a long, long time. So that means that the, uh, the, the supply-demand equation for crude oil and for natural gas, for the, you know, for the oil patch in the United States is going to be snug for a very, very long time before the balance sheets improve and Wall Street gets more excited again that maybe certain projects can get refunded again. But that's, that's way out there in 2021 in our view. And that's really actually... Very optimistic for the ethanol industry. That that's not going to be a, a blip up, make a little money, it's going to come right back down. We think it's up and it sustains itself for an extended period of time. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's jump over and talk about the dairy market a little bit here. Dairy market is one of those ones that got probably the hardest hit from this coronavirus thing. <clears throat> the amount of uh, uh, dairy products that weren't getting um, made because of restaurants being closed and those kind of things, the amount of milk that was getting dumped and all those fun headlines that we saw um, over the time have uh, kind of started to change a little bit. Uh, dairy market's been limited up here the last couple of days, and uh, looks like it's got a, some opportunity to to continue, basically because things are opening back up. Right, there's getting some some demand back into the restaurant side of things, and, and that that uh, the the cheese market and those kind of things are are really driving that. So talk about the dairy market a little bit, and and what you see happening there. Well, dairy market is a perfect example of uh, dairy is probably the market where participants get as bearish as I've ever seen in any market. Even the corn market bearishness, that's optimistic compared to how the dairy guys get. They get really, really bad. Yeah. Okay? And I can tell you in April, you know, it's you know, no restaurants ever going to open again. We're done. You know, this price level, there's no hope for a rally. And then, all, then guess what happened? Our smart money algorithm triggered a buy signal. Like we talk about the smart money, like corn. Um, and, and then guess what we started to do? We started to reopen the U.S. economy, and now some restaurants are opening, and what do they have to do? 
in order to open a restaurant, you just you just can't have nothing on, on, on hand. You have to restock, right? You have to yep. restock your dairy products. Yep. You gotta get you gotta buy some cheese, you gotta buy some butter, you gotta get some of the stuff in because you just can't have one day's worth of butter and hope tomorrow, you know, you're gonna have to buy thirty days of butter, whatever however they do that. But it's gonna you know, so all of a sudden we've got this influx of demand from all these restaurants that had to say, look, if we're gonna reopen, we need to buy all these dairy products. And then the government came in and said, We're gonna help out a little bit. Uh, and we're going to buy some some spot product on the market to for reserve for food banks to help you know to help the spot market out a little bit. So these two demand side confluences came together at the same time and caused a whipsaw. And actually, in the August contract, if you can believe it, is now back to where we were pre-virus. As of yesterday's close, the August Class Three contract. Is back to where it was before the virus panic began. If yep. you can believe. Yep. So, so how, oh my, how quickly things can change. That um, that can happen, and I wouldn't surprise me, uh, Casey, that if many other markets, ag markets that we will look at over the next thirty days, might go back to where they were pre-virus panic. In fact, when we went back and did the studies of past pandemics. <clears throat> You know, and, and market reactions, we found that it actually is fairly commonplace for a lot of markets to go back to where they were before the crisis began. So milk being, I believe, milk probably is the first one to have done that. Um, and so now more going to follow. But I just think it's remarkable when you think about what was being talked about in the milk market just, just two weeks ago, and now we're back to pre-virus levels. It, it, it's, it's telling you what can happen when sentiment shifts in the marketplace and why we're being very clear to everybody you know i would i would back off the bearish sentiment right now i would i'd keep an open mind because the flip side of the of the pandemic crash is 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 going to be surprising upside um and and the milk market is just a classic so i am very happy by the way I'm, I, am, I am thankful that my customers are getting a chance to sell a price you know that has more reality Basically, more reality to their operations. It's, you know, I'm really thankful that they that we've gotten this significant surge, and, and it's going to help them a lot. And, and and I expect to see that in the corn, the corn farmers and soybean farmers and cotton farmers and all. I think there's going to be opportunities to get a price that you know, maybe it's not the price that you ultimately would love to see in the long run, but it's a price that you could say, you know, hey, you know what, that'll work for me. That'll work for me this year. So. And I could buy that piece of equipment from from Casey that I've been wanting. To. <laughs> I, hope, I hope that's true. <laughs> yeah, I hope that's true. All right, so let's jump over and look at the livestock market here. If you look at the last two days of the week, um, last week um, cattle were limit up, and they've had a, a fairly decent run this week. Um, obviously, you know, pork is still one of those ones that's just struggling to uh to get a footing of, of any kind of magnitude but um i guess talk about that a little bit we see happening there <clears throat> uh livestock cattle and hogs are a little bit of a you know it's a little different than uh the dairy um, right the dairy never never dairy never had a throughput issue just dairy had a just had a short-term demand side issue yep. once the demand came back everything was fine but the demand is there for pork the demand is there for beef it's a it's a throughput problem and you know, 
the, the, the daily swings uh, in the marketplace, especially for cattle, has a lot to do with, uh, you know, this plant's going to, you know, come back or it's not or throughput. You know, it's, a, it's, it's really hard to gauge the short-term moves right now because it's all predicated on the perception of how this throughput is playing out. You know, there's people that say, well, the maximum is going to be 80% capacity for the rest of the year. You know, and, and if that's the case, then the throughput really can't be enough to overcome the backing up of animals. So when people start believing that, they knock the market down. Another, you know, we're not in the camp that says 80% is the best they can do. We believe that over time, the profits are so enormous at these packing plants, you know, they'll find a way to get back to 90% at least, which is what they need to get back to in order to create a more normal flow and to get the price of animals back to where they need to be. So, so for now, what it looks to us is that the cattle market made its bottom, it spiked out of that basing pattern, and you know, and it looks to us like the cattle market has placed the lows. The hog market is still in search of. And I think the biggest difference is, you know, cattle, if you're backing, if you back the cattle market, you can put them out pasture, you can slow down your feed, you can, they can gain some weight, you can, you know, you can find a way to push them off a little bit, but in the hog business, you can't do that. Yep. And they're ready, they're ready, either you, either you euthanize them, or they go through, but you just you have the ability to, oh, hold off, little piggy, don't eat anymore. I mean, they just grow so fast. Yeah. So I think that's why hogs have been unable to come off the bottom like cattle, but, but they're going to have their day. What it means is euthanizing all these pigs, Casey, means that there's going to be quite a supply vacuum in the fourth, you know, in the, in the fall. Because um, all these animals are not going to be there and there's not going to be the replacements for them. We could have quite a supply issue. It's just we're still getting backed up right now, and that's su the market suffering because of that. Yep. So. There has been more talk about the phase one China thing now than there was in the in the two years that we were waiting for the deal to get done, and there's been you know threats back and forth between the China the Chinese and the U.S. back and forth. But the more that you look at that deal, the uh, I guess the more you realize there was holes in it to start with, I guess. China's not doing much. Um, they are. No, I mean, so they're not doing anything. They're, they're buying corn. They're buying some beans. They're buying some hogs. They're doing, doing some stuff like that, but nothing to the magnitude that we see that Phase 1 was supposed to be. As you look at the Phase 1 Chinese deal, what's your thoughts on that? You know, there was no monthly target set that they had to do anything in a particular month, Casey. That's right. Um, so I just, and, and so they have time to still deliver. Um, and I think that they're just waiting it out a little bit to see how Trump politically makes out with all of this, yeah. uh, virus talk and the elections coming up. I think they're just trying to gauge whether they think he can get in or not. I think if they make the decision, he's getting back in, you'll see wild, crazy numbers. Either they can't deliver it in the, in the current year, they'll say, look, we booked them. You know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I think that they're, uh, they're, they're monitoring is you know, this time of the year, they, they can buy a lot of product from Brazil. Right. You know. And I think that they're looking at what's going on down there with the virus because it's proliferating down there. Yeah. It's out of control. It's blowing up. Uh, it's blowing up. Their, yeah. their, their weather conditions, their temperature conditions are getting the, the ideal weather for human spread. You know, Bolsonaro doesn't believe in social distancing at all, that everyone yeah. just go around kissing each other, um, which is fine if that's what they want to do. But but the numbers are saying it's getting out of control. The hospital system is already overrun. 
and I and I think they're also saying, well, you know, that situation could go from bad to ugly, where they may just be, there may be chaos there for a while, and they may not be able to ship out corn and soybeans for a while. And I think if the Chinese get worried that those supplies they're counting on may not be reliable, they're going to come in and really, really buy U.S. product as well. So I think those two factors, the political uh, temperature of Trump and you know how Brazil's doing as, as we go into this export period, will have a lot to do with whether they just keep buying you know, a little bit or they really put the pedal to the metal and buy a lot. We think they're going to, one of those two things and or both are going to give them cause to start delivering on the numbers that they said they were going to, and it'll happen overnight. It'll happen very, very quickly. And that maybe that is what smart money is seeing here. Maybe that's why smart money has been buying corn as aggressive as they have. Maybe they know that is actually going to happen and that's going to be coming. I don't know that. You don't know that, but maybe somehow they do. <laughs> yeah. Now I spent a lot of time in the last couple of days um, just watching and reading news out of Brazil about the coronavirus and what they see happen there. You're right. You're right. Uh, Bassaron has the zero. He's like, ugh, whatever. You know, we're the the famous one of his famous uh, statements that he made was, "Don't worry about the coronavirus. Uh, we Brazilians have strong um, immune systems." I'm paraphrasing, but it's something to that effect. And I'm like, wow, that's that's a bold statement to go out and tell your public that. Well, it's, don't well, worry about it. Someone asked him a question. You know, I mean, right now you're on track that you could have, you know. Hundreds of thousands of deaths at the at the rate that we're going, they're they're right. getting for at least a hundred thousand. He goes, well, that's just the way it goes. It's <laughs> <laughs> an awful thing, man. I mean, it's yeah, hey, it's it's awful. Come, but, you know, it's it's just the, his his brashness about what what he sees happening there. I mean, God bless him. I mean. As awful as yeah. it is to say, what if if that does happen in Brazil and Brazilians strike for the for a, as a hobby, I think. So if they if they get a chance to do go on strike about something at the port or trucks aren't going to drive or whatever it is, or farmers just flat say, "Don't come out to my farm and pick up my crop right now." I'll wait a minute. Um, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, the the Chinese he's are going to. He's going to talk about using military action to force. Farmers to do stuff. I mean, it's yeah. getting really, really ugly down there. And I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the chances of some disruption down there is increasing by the day. Yeah. And I don't see them. I don't see the grain markets having priced any, anything that that even might be a possibility yet. And you know, should it start to worry the market? I mean, I, I, I don't think it takes a rocket science to figure out what our markets might mm-hmm. do if they're thinking that that all these exports out of Brazil may be. Uh, offline for a while. I mean, it would be a pretty crazy situation. Yeah. And the Brazilian market, too, and, and Argentine market, they're not necessarily yeah. the the best crops they've had in a while. I mean, especially yeah. in Argentina, every week they come out almost and, and downgrade the, the crop condition or the number of bushels or whatever it is. Um, they've done that about every, almost every week for the past 10 weeks. And so there's a couple of that with other stuff that's happening, you know, really there's there's an opportunity there to see some some large swings in the marketplace. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, they did not have big buster crops this year, mm-hmm. um, for sure. And, 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 you know, look at the look at the Argentinian peso, mm-hmm. crash and burn. Yep. Look at the Brazilian real, crash and burn. Now, normally, 
right? That would be bearish to U.S. price, and it has been. But but what starts to happen is the farmers is waiting a minute. I'm just going to hold, keep my, what I, the only thing I got is this asset called corn, right. or this asset called soybeans. I'm keeping it in the bid because that, with this inflation going on, with this crash in the currency, this is how I keep my buying power because I can't put it in the bank because the currency every day is worth less. So that mentality, this currency inflation mentality, which we've seen in Argentina for a long time, they store a lot of soybeans as a hedge against inflation, keeps up the market as well. So all of this is saying we, that the supplies coming out of South America may not be as robust as we've seen in recent years, and, and that may be something the Chinese start to pick up on and go, hey, you know about that trade deal with uh, U.S.? Well, we always loved you. Here we come. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, like me in college. You, got, you have a semester to finish this project, and I'm going to do it the last three days um, before it's due. So it's it's that's, I feel like that's when I when I see what's happening with China and I, and I look at what's going on there, obviously there weren't anything in there that, that said, "Hey, on in January you got to buy this much." Just like you said, there's there was no like monikers they had to hit, right? But they just have to buy it. So they could come to the market in October and say, "You know what? We'll go ahead and buy our however many million metric tons of whatever we're going to buy." And we'll just go ahead and get that book now, and we'll have a February delivery date or something like that. <clears throat> I just think that there's a. I just don't think the stuff in Brazil is going to go as well as, as they think it's going to, and just and not well, that I'm an expert by any means, but just from what I've read. Well, we're very concerned because you know our work on the on the virus and what really made community spread occur, whether it was New York City, whether it was Seattle, whether it was Wuhan, whether it was Northern Italy, we go down the list. It was always that the temperatures got in this 35 to 65 degree level, um, and you got into a, you know, we, we had lower sun, uh, sunlight because of wintertime, and you had, you know, these cooler temperatures and drier temperatures. These are the conditions that the this particular coronavirus loves to spread on, um, and that's the conditions that South America is now entering into for the next three months. Um, and, 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 and in Brazil's case, you know, they are not taking reasonable precautionary social distancing measures. They are in Argentina, but they're not doing it in Brazil, which says, you know, <clears throat> it, you know, it could get very, 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 very ugly there. And I'm not wishing upon that on anybody. And their healthcare system, as much as we complain about the U.S. and we're ready, and, you know, our healthcare system compared to Brazil is quite a bit better. So, um, you know, we, we, we just think it's, the market sh should be pricing this risk in, and they're not, and that could be what just wake up to one day, and all of a sudden, you, you all you're hearing about is how Brazil is striking, and the ports are closed, and China is now buying, you know, half the corn crop of the U.S. because it has to. Right. You know, that's yep. Yep. All right. Last thing, then we'll shut it down here. Wheat is yeah. is is showing some signs of life here. Um, Eastern Europe, Western Europe. Um, Australia kind of bounced back a little bit, but they're kind of turning off a little bit drier now that they've got all that rain that they've gotten. But the Black Sea region um, of the uh, of, of of Europe and, and over in Russia and Kazakhstan, those areas are showing some major signs of drought. I mean, epic drought, and they're <clears throat> they're tearing back the exports they're going to have. Ukraine just had a thing that they're tearing back their exports by twenty five to thirty percent. Russia's talked about the same thing. Um, the U.S wheat market now we're in full swing of harvest down south making our way north 
and um, some it's it's one of those years where it's either really really good or really really bad, just depending on where you're at. And um, so there's going to be some volatility in the marketplace there. Wheat has an opportunity to uh, to grow and, and shoot up the shoot up the ladder in value a little bit. As you look at the wheat market, what are some of your concerns and what are some of your uh, optimistic outviews? Well, we actually rallied a lot, as you know, yeah. um, on, on, on the stockpiling idea, on these weather problems. Um, you know, half the world got concerned about food, and so they you know, let's get some wheat bought. Um, but then harvest comes, right? So you always have harvest pressure. No matter what the case is, you start to harvest, you get harvest pressure, and so the market has given back and corrected a fair bit, like you would expect it to as harvest gets going. But that's now happened, right? We've had that correction now. And but we but the you know the weather problems the constricted supply the worry over food supply none of this has gone away, um, and so we think that you know we've kind of traded the harvest pressure period and we're now ready to move into what's called the post harvest rally if you tend to get in the wheat market and so we're pretty optimistic that the downside we were concerned about before has happened um, and now we're starting to get some pretty good smart money algorithm. Uh, behavior, especially in, like, say, Minneapolis wheat, which is the higher quality wheat. Um, it's actually on a different cycle because it's being planted right now. Um, so we, were, we actually think that the wheat market's in, in the process of, of making a secondary low here, Casey, and, and getting ready for another you know, another expression of all these things that made it run up the last time. It just needed a break. It needed a, a chance to rest and to handle some of this new supply that's coming in from harvest. With that out of the way, and we do think that the, that the prospects for wheat look better here as we move into June, July. Yep. So. So, and speaking of dryness, I mean, if you look around, uh, we had a pretty strong um, weather event roll through uh, the, the Midwest and, and the plains here last night, and that dropped some pretty significant amount of rain that in some fairly dry areas in, in, in the middle of corn country. So um, the U.S. is, is not um, out of the woods when it comes to drought-like conditions starting to form. Uh, we've always we've said all along that this is going to be more of a hot, dry year mm -hmm. um, because we're moving towards La Nina, yeah, La Nina. more of a La Nina-like behavior, yep. and it's only going to get worse next year as we get into a more full-blown La Nina. So, so the message for this growing season is that as time goes on, warmer, drier. In fact, you know what we continue to tell our customers, Casey, is that we haven't had a hot, dry August in a very, very long time. Yeah. And you're trying to think back when we had a hot, dry August. It's always been cool and wet, and it's been perfect conditions for finishing the crops out, and that sort of thing. But if we were to look at you know, what would be a, something to really drive the market this year, a hot, dry finish, you know, August, late July finish, um, we think is very likely this year. And this would be particularly troublesome for the soybean market, because obviously that's where soybeans make or break the yield that they're going to have. And so, you know, we would... We would be looking at uh, a hot, dry finish to this growing season as potentially a weather event that might get things going, whereas in the last several years, it's been the front end that we've actually seen a back end loaded weather problem this year. And, um, and so that that's fitting, fits in with a hotter, drier, La Nina kind of summer that you tend to get. And, and that would be more problematic for soybeans. So that's something just to keep kind of keep in the back of your mind on the soybean market. It doesn't affect the soybean market today, or, you know, but by starting in July, that's going to be what's really going to start driving things in the minds of the market of soybeans. And, of course, if soybeans take off, you know, corn 
isn't far behind. Yeah. So. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Uh, we pumped out a lot of information on this one. So folks want to reach out to you and get some more of that, that information or maybe check in on some of your reports that you put out. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on there, Casey, to see if what we do might be of value to your listeners. Right on. Check out those reports. Those things are, are worth your time. There's sample reports on that website, too, so check that out. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all the latest posts of the podcast as well as blogs. Also, check out movingironllc.com where you can find all the information for the uh, Moving Iron Summit in September 1 through 3 in Nashville, Tennessee. And you also get to hear Sean speak at that as well, and he'll uh, deliver a, a great a great message about what's going on in the marketplace. Also, uh, you'll find the website. On the website, you also find... Um, the podcast as well as blogs too so um, also check out the uh, global ag network and the great podcasters out there as well so until next time i'm casey seymour with sean hackett let's go move some iron folks out moving iron in the 21st century hard-working people working hard for you and me moving iron Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving on